Hello, and welcome back to another episode of International Immersion, a podcast that seeks to capture the combined experiences of people, culture, places, traveling, current events, living abroad, and everything that comes along with them. For today's episode, we have quite a special treat in that we have a number of people on today that's, that's going to cover one of the pressing, pressing situations that we're facing in the U.S. now, and to a broader extent, has international implications. And that would be what the situation or occurrence of hate crimes against Asian Americans uh, that have been quite common recently, but are by no means anything new. So for today, I have four, speak four guests on today that each have a different insight and perspective that they can bring to the table. And it's my pleasure to introduce them. So th I just want to thank you all for being on here today. And I'd love to have see what thoughts and uh, experiences you all have regarding this topic. Thank you, Sean. Um, I guess I can start. My name is Amy Lee. I am the author of Snow in Vietnam, uh, Snow in Seattle, and Snow's Kitchen. And I am a former Vietnamese boat people refugee. Um, I was born nine months before the fall of Saigon. And uh, when communism took over our country, my mom took my cousin and me to um, to escape the country and come to the United States for freedom, for a better chance of life. And um, I am currently now living in Oklahoma, and um, but formerly in the Seattle area. So Seattle is dear to me, but that's kind of um, who I am and my background. I also am from Seattle. My name is Jolene Jang, and I am fourth generation Japanese American and uh, third generation Swedish and Chinese. And so I speak a little bit of sign language, a little bit of Spanish. And my uh, mother, she, um, they knew some people out in the farm, so they didn't have to go the in, to the internment camp. But she doesn't know Japanese because that was not the thing. In, in Seattle, there was a lot of signs of no Japs. And so I'm out here in Seattle, and I am the curiosity catalyst, and I help people get creative and innovative. I'm in the tech land over here in Seattle. So... My name's April Doucette and I'm actually Canadian. I actually live in um, Atlantic Canada. And so um, I actually first heard of Amy when she was actually on another show. And so, um, so we've been writing back and forth and uh, I just- uh, Well, thank you for being here, April. Her, her story is just, she's an amazing woman and uh, yeah. That's so sweet, April. I'll pay you later for saying that. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I'm Lynn Thomas, and I live in the Seattle area currently and have for a couple of decades, but I actually grew up all over the country, was born in Minnesota, and uh, spent the majority of my childhood living in 12 different states uh, and have seen 49 of the 50 states. So um, I've definitely been around our country. And I bet you've seen a lot. <laughs> I have. Well, thank you very much, all four of you, for the introductions. And you all have certainly uh, interesting and diverse backgrounds. I mean, 49 of 50 states, that's impressive. I think I've only been to about 20 or 25 so far. Well, I've had the opportunity to go to the 50th, but my son forbids me until he's out of college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. But I'm sure you'll hit the 50th mark pretty soon. I'll get there. <laughs> 
Well, that's perfect. Well, everyone, I'm really happy that we're here today and we can kind of go into, um, into this topic from, you know, four or five different perspectives with each of our backgrounds and our own experiences. But to begin with, I think it's important to kind of, you know, present the topic and kind of give a little background on what's going on. So as we know, unfortunately, you know, hate crimes against Asian Americans, they're nothing new, but they've been brought out more into the limelight recently because of a lot of factors, but they've always been there. So I think it's a little important that we kind of examine a little bit of the historiography, you know, of Asians in America, just to kind of give the, the general audience, you know, a little more of a background. So like, in history, you know, historically speaking, you know, Asian Americans have been here for almost as long as any other group. And of course, naturally, they've been mainly clustering on the West Coast. Uh, but due to laws and other uh, legislative initiatives used by the U.S. government in the past, it heavily restricted or even excluded Asian Americans from coming or even become U.S. citizens. Like the Naturalization Act of 1790, for example, exclude all non-white people from becoming United States citizens. And it wasn't really until the turn of the 20th century that you start seeing that to change with some additions in legislation. But even then, it really wasn't until post-World War II that you start seeing a lot more of the recognizable features that you see in the U.S. in terms of policy toward Asian Americans. Now, I'm, def I'm heavily generalizing here for the sake of time, but it definitely says a lot. And there's a lot of stories and a lot of perspective that can be analyzed on that alone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for this is Amy talking. And for me and my family, you know, we came to the States um, because of the Vietnam War. Uh, I am a not only a congenital heart defect um, warrior, but also a Vietnam War survivor. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of um, Vietnamese refugees fled their country to um, resettle in other parts of the world because of um, fear of persecution. And, um, you know, I know that for us being new to America, it was starting over with nothing. You know, we came here with um, just a gold bar really. <laughs> um, and that was it, you know, and that doesn't even go very far, but there was, there were language barriers. There were, um, you know, trying to find um, a job. When you're in Vietnam, you could be a doctor or somebody prominent, but you come to the States or wherever it is that you're resettling to, laws are different. Um, the language barriers and way to navigate through um, the matrix of things, uh, the culture is different. And um, I think xenophobia has always been a part in our history where, you know, if somebody looks different and foreign, then they must be bad. And I think from, for the Vietnamese boat people refugee, we had to swim upstream um, since, you know, the war ended in 1975. So uh, I'm sure Jolene has some history too with, um, with her being on the Japanese American side of things, but we've always fought, faced that in the United States, unfortunately. You know what I'm curious about is I grew up in um, the suburb of Seattle, so in the North Shore District in Bothell, and I don't recall learning about uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act or um, the Japanese internment camps. In college, I studied the Japanese internment camps on my own, but I was wondering the rest of you, uh, did you study that? Did you learn about that when you were in school? I would say that because my undergrad degree was in history, we did cover that. It wasn't my, my area of specialization, but we did. I did have some coverage on that on in at least one of my classes, although it was not, I'd say, very broad. But most people that I was in school with, they did not. Well, I'm just saying in, in school, not in college. No, in no. School. Straight up, no. 
white history white history was covered for the majority and even black history was was um whitewashed asian american history was primarily ignored in my schools uh growing up yeah it was always about the the american perspective from that lens and everything was the helicopter uh view right of of history um which I'm glad to say that now, you know, more and more Asian Americans um, are coming out to create stories um, through whatever platform they're using, whether it be through um, movie production or, you know, books or music or whatever art. Um, it, it's definitely changing, and I feel like the, that we're changing the the chapter of things. No, I definitely yeah. agree with with all four of your perspectives on that it definitely is more of a helicopter view as you put Amy and it's more focused on more of the American perspective I, I may have had a slightly different experience because I took honors U.S. history where we did cover more and it was more immersive a little bit but generally it's still stuck to that memorandum yeah you know growing up too it's like everybody would ask me you know what is my point of view on the Vietnam War and um, what am I to say? You know, first of all, I came here when I was five years old and was fighting for my life. Um, so the war was the least thing on my mind. But as you get older and you see movies from uh, Francis Coppola or whatever, documentaries that really are very one-sided, um, you know the history through that point of view. And that's all I can say is, well, I don't have any opinions on the war, you know? Um, I do now, but... <laughs> One of the positive things, which is the very few things will come out of my mouth around this, and so I might as well take advantage is I'm so pleased that there are more Asian American authors coming out of the woodworks or we're hearing about them. And now they're book lists. I've compiled several of them as well, um, like Amy on the call and her story, her actually real story and, and Lee Tran and her story. And, and there's so many more. Um, I'm also encouraging Asian Americans who are um, um, public, like public to make their my Asian American experience. I put like a 12 minute Asian experience just talking about, hey, I'm Japanese, Chinese and Swedish. I don't have a language, you know, my name, I have a Western name. My parents cooked American food um, and just, and if I'm in a room with let's say white people or first generation Asians, I'm gonna be more comfortable with the white people. And so just kind of saying, and I mixed. And so where does that lead me? So just kind of sharing their experience to show how diverse it is. So I'm hoping uh, eventually when we have the spotlight, at least for this moment, the people will start to do that. So um, so the majority of people can start to understand it. No, very well said. You know, I think that's very true. <laughs> very true. It's very good, guys. Very good. So now we're going to kind of go into the discussion phase and we're going to tackle some specific questions that have been brought up that I think are really important and a lot can be said about. So, you know, given what's going on lately, you know, the first thing I like to pose to everyone is, you know, you know, how are a lot of these, you know, anti-Asian crimes affecting you? I feel like a thousand needles are being shot at me every single day. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to start crying. It's been a very emotional time for me because I can't turn on the TV. I can't turn on my um, social media posts. I can't look at my phone without seeing something in the world about hate crimes against the Asian Americans. So it's almost like you're suffocating and you're, you're dying a slow death and you feel helpless, you can't do anything about it, and you feel voiceless. So it's been, it's been very, very hard. You know, I'm, you know, I, I can't imagine because, you know, I'm a white Caucasian myself, but just seeing a lot of what's going on, it's just absolutely disgusting, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, we're all humans, we all bleed red, as they say. 
and it's like why can't we just get along we can learn so much from each other we can benefit mm-hmm. so much from each other it doesn't matter what you look like it matters what's you know in your head and your heart that's my personal pers- opinion yeah, here, here Sean, that's why white Americans lash out against minorities of all types, including Asian Americans. And right now, the political climate um, has not only condoned, but encouraged hatred against Asians and other minorities uh, as different. When the truth is, like I was telling Amy the other day, we're, we're all candles. We all have a different scent, a different you know, flavor. But at the end, we all shine the same bright light right? It, mm-hmm. At the heart of it, we're all the same, even though we have our di- cultural differences. And white people have cultural differences too, and they're amenable to those, but, but fear that they will no longer retain power or control of their own lives if they treat others as equals. And frankly, I think that's encouraged in a number of venues across America, not just politically, but even religiously in some areas of this country. To answer your question, Sean, this is Jolene from Seattle. Um, So as a fourth generation Japanese American, um, and I'm not plugged into the Asian community these days, I used to be really involved, but then I became a speaker. And so it's it's the white community for a long time. And so I'm not very um, involved. And so I just got on 10 days ago saying, you know what, before this, of course, I knew it was happening but you hear just a few things and it's like in the big cities, it's in, it's in New York and San Francisco. Well, Washington state, Seattle, we're number three. And we don't even hear about these like happening locally, but it's happening. And what's tough is now that I'm, I'm getting it into the Asian American news, which is next shark and uh, a number of these sites that we'll leave on your show notes. It is every day it is constant and you see not just only old people who are in their walker this happening every day them being destroyed but you're also seeing um like the 17 year old he was shot three years ago in seattle he had a pen in his hand he was shot by a cop but all the other all the other incidents um attacks they are by just their people not by cops and they're not making the news and they were also shot too and um and so that is very, um, it's tough. And then you're also picturing your, your, uh, your parents, you know, and your aunt. And um, so it's just like, and they're, they're kind of a little bit helpless, you know, they're not expecting it and they're older, but it's happening all around us and nobody knows about it. You bring up a good point there. And I think that speaks to a wider issue is, is co- what the news covers because it's not always comprehensive. And that's just a great example of it. I was listening to Connie Chung, anchor forever, and uh, she was talking about how she was pleading last year to her colleagues, please cover the Asian violence. People need to know what's happening. And then they wouldn't. And it's just like, well, how many, you know, what are the ratings for that? Who's going to care? Because there, is there any attachment to that old person who maybe doesn't speak English? There's no connection to it. Who's going to watch that? And uh, there's a ton of different specials of Asians talking to each other, like some of the movie stars talking about that struggle and how it's not covered. There's only about four Asian Americans, Dion Lim, Vicky Nguyen, and Sifam, and a few more, uh, Betty Yu, who are covering these. And so it is, I'm trying my best to share these to people, but also people don't want to see it. They don't engage with any of the posts. And it's just like, oh, that's not happy and joyful. I'd rather look at cats and dogs. Or also, that's political. We don't. I don't want to engage with it because, 
you know, it's, I don't know, I'm, they don't want to. So it's, it's really a struggle. Yeah. People don't like what they don't understand and they don't, they don't want to get, I, me, it's, it's a different um, situation. Um, this, it's not race. I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. And so people like, and that's, that's exactly why I wanted to be here because people do shy away, away from things that they don't understand. And uh, bigotry is, has been a part of our history forever and it's not going away anytime soon, but what we can do is, is educate, um, you know, through food, through music, through commonalities. Um, there's a, there's an organization called Asian Americans Advancing Justice and they, um, they track hate crimes. Uh, you can go onto their website or go on to um, standagainsthatred.org to read some of these stories that these Asian Americans are sharing and telling about um, incidents that they've, they've uh, experienced. And then they've also uh, have an opportunity to report crimes, hate crimes. Um, and I just went onto their website recently and let me just tell you the numbers here. So more than 3,800 anti-Asian hate incidents have been self-reported since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. 500, more than 500 anti-Asian hate incidents have taken place in 2021 alone. More than 66% of reported hate incidents targeted Asian American women. And there have been a 150% increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans in 2020. And this is just one organization that is tracking. So clearly we're not capturing everything that's happening, um, but those are startling numbers. And if we had the full 360 view, I'm sure that number would be exponentially bigger. Mm -hmm. Oh, and those are sobering statistics, not to mention <clears throat> the fact that you're, I think you're completely right. There are, for everyone that's reported, I'm sure there are many that are not. Yeah. And also, um, the, just in the last 10 days, I, I mean, just there's a ton that were reported with these Asian American reporters. What happens is Dion Lim in San Francisco, people will personally go to her because they have a relationship with her and they feel safe and they talk to her. So just in the last 10 days, hundreds and hundreds. And then you think of all the people who didn't report it. So it's, it's staggering. No, and that leads into our next, the next question that I have is, you know, kind of going on like, the, you know, the awareness is that, you know, do you think a lot of people know about the prevalence of Asian hate crimes? And I think we've already answered that. And I think the answer is probably not. I had two people. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Lynn. I was going to say, yeah, no, I think a lot of people, uh, turn a blind eye to what they won't, don't want to acknowledge or see because they don't want to have to stand up and do something um, and get out of their own personal bubble shell that they live in. At least a lot of white Americans I know are like that. Um, and we need to address not just the hatred, but the apathy and the desire not to get involved. It's not my problem. It's an American problem. So it is our problem, all of our problems. And we need yeah. to come together and all of us need to step up to put a stop to it. I'm curious, um, Sean, Lynn and April, what have you heard of it? Um, and now you're more sensitive to, to this since we're doing this show, but before right. then, what did you know about the hate crimes? Because I certainly, before 10 days ago, I, you know, I only heard about Atlanta and the granny and the, the guy who was slashed. There was like only four stories that I heard of. So what did you hear of? Exactly. I, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, I, I would say the same. I mean, 
I would say my experience is a little different because I've actually lived in Asia. I lived in China for four years and studied over there as well. So that kind of gave me a little more insight on an international perspective. So when I came back, maybe a little more perceptive, I would say, to, you know, more Asian more Asian type topics, pardon the, pardon the way of saying it, but that's maybe a little more aware, but compared to most people around where I live, because where I live in the central U.S., St. Louis area, majority of the population is white Caucasian. So, but my range of knowledge is certainly a lot more than most people I know by far. One of the things I was, I was set up an event called how to be an Asian ally, which I'm going to be doing on Thursdays. And one of the guys is from Nebraska. He's white from Nebraska. And, you know, he's, you know, a line dancer and, you know, a white guy. And he doesn't know any Asians. There aren't many there. But one of the other guys Googled his city and then saw that there was a Chinese church there. And then they, there, uh, what were those um, little fake bomb things called? Cocktail? Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, that was one of the stories. And so what I encourage you to do it, uh, is to Google anti-Asian hate crimes in, in your city or Asian hate in your city and see what's there because there likely is something. And also it may not be reported, but you can also see what are the Asian organizations doing because likely they're doing something, but nobody else who's not, nobody white knows about it because there's no connection there. And so what I'm trying to encourage people to is to localize it because people won't care about a stranger in New York, even if they feel bad, but they don't, there's no attachment to it. So to be able to share with them, hey, this is this actually happening here? Oh my gosh, I had no idea there was even this group here. No, very well said, because if, you, if you're not personally invested or have a connection, it, does, it, it can kind of just fly right by you. you know, this is a little off topic, but a great example is one of my colleagues from grad school who I met in China. He's he's from Myanmar, and I've been talking to him, and he's been he's in the middle of the protests. He's seen people get killed, and you know, it's, oh yeah, the news in Myanmar. But it's like, yeah, but I have a friend over there, and I, I talk to him on the phone every now and then because I'm worried about him, and he tells me this. It's different than watching the news, you know. And I think that analogy kind of be taken to this: if you have no context and no connection, it's not going to really register. Oh, that's terrible, but. So I'm going to continue off my day. But if you know someone it's happened to, or you have friends or have some connectivity, that makes all the difference. And if you can raise awareness before there's a beat down, you know, changing, changing your Facebook frame, sharing an article of what you learned today on this call, and then saying, oh, that was so interesting. I didn't realize this, blah, blah, blah. Did you? And send that with an article and also with training, because maybe maybe you have a white network and maybe there's no Asians around, but somewhere there is. And to try and uh, before things escalate to try and say, hey, this is important and we need to pay attention. Yeah, Very well said. And that that kind of leads into another point is, you know, like have any of your friends reached out to you about this? Because I I mean, from my experience, from my friends who are not Asian, none. Nothing. Can I just say that in a world where there's TikTok and memes and the attention span of our young, uh, our youth <laughs> is 15 seconds or, you know, a minute. Um, it's really hard to grab their attention. And it took me repeatedly putting a picture of me with a sign that says stop Asian hate or, you know, um, stand up for AAPI, whatever on my story, uh, my feed and posting article after article or just you know whatever repeatedly 
on social media for them to reach out to me. And, and the two that did reach out to me said, what is AAP and what is AAPI? And why are, why do you have this um, frame on your, on your Facebook profile? What does it even mean? And I was like, thank you for asking, because now I'm going to bombard you with everything I know. Um, and, you know, don't want to overwhelm them. But at the same time, it's like people just have no clue because it's the pandemic, you know, you're, you're struggling as it is um, to live day by day and people are dying. I know for the Asian Americans, you know, for the refugees who came here to make a better life, our, our elders are growing old and, and they're dying. And so you're counting on the younger generations, the 1.0, or excuse me, the 1.5, 2.0s and 3.0s to really continue that history and carry their, their voice um, for them. And I think that if there's a way for us to get their attention in 15 seconds or 30 seconds, maybe that's what we need to do to um, say, hey, wake up. So I, I, just in case you missed this, so the answer to your question that she said is two people reached out to her after posting a bunch. And um, I have a big network. So I have 14 face, 1400 Facebook friends and 700 just followers. And um, so there were three people uh, my black friend who doesn't know a lot about Asians. And so she contacted me um, first thing. And, um, and I was just like, oh, I was like, oh, wow. I, you know, I was so like, neat. That's cool. And, um, and then two people messaged me who I, I kind of barely know. Otherwise, nothing. And um, then I posted the next two, three days, um, I don't know, 40 times about different articles, different videos, just like it was a landslide. I changed all my platforms, YouTube, Instagram, everything. So there is no, this is all in, this is very serious. And for me, who's, who's very fun, I know I don't sound like it, um, but I'm very happy and to completely go the other way. Um, so there's no, people see my posts and there was no engagement. It was so disgusting. And um, let me read you a few things. So I. I'm on this group, um, Asians Now, it's 13,000 Asian Americans talking. Oh, well, also some um, Canadians and Australians too, but this one really uh, was helpful for me to see. So one of the people posted, hey, just a temperature, temperature check, it's been an exhausting week. I think one of the hardest things was not hearing from my white friends. Through all this, I was wondering, um, you know, what, you, what the rest of you, how that's going for you. Um, and then another person says, I did check of, 30 white friends and 28 didn't hear of the spa shooting. And, you know, another person's like, oh man, I think that my friends are blank, blank, you know, terrible. And it's it just on and on and on. There are two posts like this that just, yeah, my white friends suck and nobody cares, feel invisible. Silence is deafening and that is constant. And um, it, I, I say the same, I was mad. I'm like, you know what? I may need some new friends too. That is yeah. very clear. Yeah, I, I lost friends. Jolene, you and I talked about this. I posted on Facebook. I said, if anybody doesn't want to hear me talk about Asian hate crimes and doesn't want to um, to be to stand up for us, you know, unfriend me now. And I lost some friends because of that. And that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. But um, it's it's very sad when you're crying for help. I mean, the only time people. I feel like the only time people comment now is if I post pictures of food 
And I am more than just about food. <laughs> I am more than just about um, egg rolls and, and, and pho, right? I mean, we as, as Asian Americans, we're, we're a culture, we're a people, we have our traditions and our values and our religion, just like everybody else. Exactly. So, yeah. And the thing is, Amy, she actually was crying, not just crying for help. It was waterworks. It was a whole proclamation that, you know what, I'm going to stand up. And it was just so like, I'm getting, I, wow. It was so incredible because it was so brave of her to say that. And she wasn't going to say anything. And now she is all in. Amy, I'm so proud of you. It, that takes so much courage. I cry every day. I'm crying on this podcast. <laughs> I, I cry many times a day too. I got some waterproof eyeliner. So between all my interviews that I can be okay. So the silence is deafening. And so here's a quick um, thing. Reach out to your Asian American friends. You don't have to know what to say. You can just say, hey, gosh, you know, I don't know what to say, but, you know, the times are so tough. You know, how are you doing? And just, you know, I, I want to be there for you. I'm not sure what to do, but I'm here for you. And, and at least anything, because it is so very few people out there who reach out to us. And I've talked to um, uh, several people as well. Same thing. It's just really, um, obviously, I'm bitter about it. But people are starting to come around. But this is like 10 days later and after me, like being super mad. So some people are coming around. So Amy and I have had several conversations now. And I'm just so happy that I was able to get in contact with her because I'm much more aware now. And, and she's shared things like wor worries and, and I just, that completes, it completely breaks my heart. Well, thank you for listening, April. And uh, thank you for being here. Just, just that alone lets me know that I'm not alone. Oh, you're not alone. I'd no, like I, to, I'd like to hear from, I'd like to hear from the white people on this phone call <laughs> and, uh, and hear um, what are your concerns about reaching out to people or before you did this, this. Um, podcast here, what are your concerns about reaching out to Asian Americans? I'm honestly not worried about reaching out. It's just, I haven't really known a lot of Asians, to be completely honest with you. I do, I, actually, I have a story. I shared this with Amy. I'm actually here because of an Asian doctor. Tell um, us more. Yeah. Um, so I was born with spina bifida and he, yeah, completely saved my life. I wasn't breathing whenever I was first born. And so on top of that, he was my doctor while I was a child. So completely breaks my heart to know that this type of stuff is going on because like I said, like this doctor totally saved my life. And he was like, he, he's, I still see him around town and I just absolutely adore this man. You were blessed and we're glad to have you here. No, April, I definitely would agree with you is that I have no qualms in reaching out to people or doing that, but where I live, there's just very few. And in my case, I do know a lot of Asians, but they're not Americans. They're from China. They're from other countries, which is, you know, it, it's good, but it's not the same, you know, but, you know, it, that's been my biggest issue is it's, there's not, there's very few, at least in my area, like St. Louis area, there's a few clusters, but it's, there's not a lot. And then, you know, so if I knew more people, I'd love to do more things or, you know, collaborate or raise awareness or, you know, do whatever. But it's just, that's been my biggest struggle, I would say. And then, you know, like April said, you know, like, like, yeah, the doctor who delivered me, he was, he was Asian as well. So not quite as, you know, extremely as your case, but yeah, I mean, there's that and, you know, 
my experiences well, overseas and everything, but there's just, at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, don't be, I don't get why people have to be afraid just to reach out. It's, you're not going to lose anything by doing it. And actually the doctor that saved my life is not originally from Canada. He had actually come from Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, just from what, just what, what we've all been saying, that pretty much answers the next few questions that I had was, you know, are your friends sharing anything about, you know, stop Asian hate? You know, we've kind of touched on that and, you know, what are some of the struggles for Asians to speak up? You know, Julian, you've kind of touched that pretty heavily. And then, you know, the last one, what, what happens if the majority of people or non-Asians aren't doing anything? We've already kind of touched on that as well. Lynn, you were going to say something? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I have no problem reaching out to, I have several Asian girlfriends uh, here in Seattle, and I have no problem reaching out to them. I actually talked to a, a friend of mine who's a female uh, Chinese attorney uh, earlier today, and we talked a little bit about it, but um, I kind of feel like I want my Asian friends to lead that conversation. I mean, I, I, to, to educate me more so I know a little bit more about where they're coming from and how they're feeling so that I can be the ally that helps educate other white people on, you know, their apathy and, and their misconceptions and their incorrect belief systems, right? Um, in a way that Asian Americans can't get across to them because they may not listen, right? They're more likely to listen to me. My, I'm talking about, you know, I have, we have several family members who live in the South and I don't think they have any contact with Asians at all. They don't care unless somebody brings it up to them, right? And so, you know, I want to be there as a support for all of my Asian friends, but also get the message out that this has to stop because we're all the same underneath right yeah and you know with I was gonna say I haven't been big uh on social media about it because I tend to do more deep personal connection um but I could probably ramp up my game in that my you know my um presence in that area on this issue I was gonna say that most of us are you know we've taught we've been taught uh for over a thousand years to to shut up and, and not draw attention to ourselves. That's our survival mechanism through colonialism and war and domination from other countries. You, you know, it's, that's how we survive is to be unnoticed and be quiet. Um, and I think that is so embedded in our DNA that uh, there's not a lot of talk about it or especially on social media, you know, a lot of Asian, Asians and Asian Americans, we don't, air out any dirty laundry or share our feelings. Um, and so from that perspective, I can, I get it. You know, a lot of our friends don't know what we're, what we're feeling or what we're facing uh, and what we're up against. But I think that if you just open up your eyes to social media, to media platforms in general, newspapers, you know, <laughs> articles, TV news, whatever, um, you'll see that it's starting to now dominate the news a little bit in terms of the hate crimes that are happening. And this is a great opportunity to reach out to your friends uh, and see how they're doing because you know, we're not necessarily gonna be the ones to reach out to you, uh, unfortunately, because we're just, we're, we're quiet that way. We like to deal with our pain in quiet. <laughs> I was telling Amy today that um, I'm completely speechless about what's been going on, but I absolutely, I have to talk. Yeah, and, and that's what we need. That's what Jolene and I and all of our AAPI community members need is someone to help 
be our voice and amplify that, use whatever platform that they have to share our stories. And, um, you know, I always encourage people to read books that are by Asian authors because they won't shy away from anything. They will tell you the way it is uh, and the experience that they had through their memoirs or through, through their books. And the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? You get, you get everything. And I think you make up a good point because I've had some Asian friends that, you know, I not necessarily on this issue, but other issues, I try to talk to them, but it's very difficult for them to kind of open up at least a couple of, a couple of my friends that I've, you know, that I know. And I think what you're speaking to, Amy, kind of gives a little more background on that. I, kind of, I mean, I kind of figured myself, but that definitely, I think there's that element because I found it's a little harder for them to open up as opposed to some other friends who are, you know, non-Asian. Yeah. And and least, have... I found that to be true as well, Sean, very stoic and yes. hard to draw out um, uh, with a few exceptions like Amy. Um, Amy, I was relieved to see you post that video and really shine a light in a way that was very easy to connect to you and your vulnerability and your fear and your worry and your concern. And I think we need to see more of that from the Asian community. Yes, and Amy, that took so much courage though. Just know how much courage that took. I only know, now I know four people, who, four Asian Americans who are talking, like who are not activists. And, and so a, a couple of things. So let's say you're, you're saying the Asians, it's hard to get what they're really feeling or talking. Uh, for example, my friends, 98% white, and I have needed to like vent like a couple times a day. And just, I'm so mad. I'm mad at all the violence I'm seeing and that nobody knows about it. And I post all these things yesterday, last night I posted, um, this is in San Francisco, this, um, this Asian couple was robbed and tied up. And then the little girl, uh, who's seven watched it and you hear her little voice and see her little face and then the robber's like you know what if you do anything you know to the parents um he's like I'm gonna shoot your daughter and I'm like hmm I'm gonna share this and say hey do any of you or any of you parents and like nobody you know of course there's no engagement with it and it's like I know people see my posts and it's like, if I put like a pretty picture up there, then I would have like 80 likes in a second. And so I'll have all these different posts and there's no engagement with it. And, and I get frustrated because I'm like, oh my gosh, my friends are so, they're BLM, they're LGBT, they're vegans. I mean, like they're like women's march and then they're silent. And, and so I need to vent. I'm like, oh my gosh, who Asians can I call? Hmm, I don't know. And then I'm like, okay, well, do I have some white friends who are uh, a little bit more woke? Because my my good white friends won't understand. And then, oh, you're overacting, you're acting, you're overreacting, and like, oh, you know what? People care. They're just busy. And and so hearing excuses defending other white people is not what I want to hear. And yeah, that's the apathy. Yeah, I hear that a lot too. As I, like, I post stuff, oh, I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. The busy thing is used all the time. <laughs> busy is an excuse for apathetic. Like, it doesn't affect me, so I don't want to get involved. Um, you know, bad things happen, but, you know, and, and, and it's dismissive and yes. hurtful and ignorant. And it, I find it, frankly, quite maddening. It makes me very angry. Yeah, and I, I would say it's like, you know, I'm very... Believe it or not, I'm extremely positive. I know that's a hard one to swallow right now, but I am. And so I'm posting all these things that are true. 
And a friend of mine is like, you know, that's, you know, stop Asian hate. It's so negative. And so she posted, start Asian love. And it was a yellow background, you know, to reflect my skin. And then I'm, and when I see Asian love, I'm like fetishes, you know, all the white guys that go over to Asia, come back liking uh, Asian women, which, okay, you know, that's a thing. Um, but it's like, I think of that. So Asian love is not that's not helpful. And then also it's like, that doesn't recognize a problem that dismisses it. That says, Hey, let's just do Kumbaya. It's not really there. And it has no action items. And so we need white people to understand this, the do-gooders to like, so, so that's why some of us wouldn't go to our white friends because then we'll be like dismissed and like, Oh, you're making a big deal out of it. People care about you. And like, just kind of, so that's, one of the reasons. I've only heard you a few times, but I can honestly say like, I know you're positive. You're just very passionate. And well, I appreciate that. That's totally okay. Like keep talking. Yeah. And well, another. Well, as I say, it's like, you know, I think one thing, one, one thing that I think is just so true is that the people who talk the loudest are the ones that are heard the most. So mm-hmm. I think the more you, the, and that's just, that's so true with that, throughout history and just, you know, current events, et cetera. So the more you talk, the more attention you'll eventually get. It may not be quick. As you mentioned, you post a lot of things, nothing, and not much comes of it, but don't let that discourage you. I mean, I've had the same thing with developing this podcast. I post something, it doesn't get much attention, but I don't, don't stop. I just, it just keeps me, keep going, keep going. I have a goal. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to achieve that goal. I've got to draw attention to something, start small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Each individual so counts. Like- Go ahead, Jolene. I'd like to read a, a little bit. So this is one of the four people, the Asian Americans that I know who, who are on board with admitting that Asian hate is a thing. Um, and this is a big deal. So he's Chinese. And um, why is it that I've been hesitant to speak out against the recent hate crimes against Asians? I defended Kaepernick and I hated the Niners at the time. So it's not like I'd ever shied away from speaking my mind. And yet I've tried not to get into this argument when it's affecting me closer than ever. Is it because I raised, I was raised exactly how the model minority was taught to react, to be quiet, to do our part, to contribute to the success of the USA, but not step outside of those lines? Is it because I'm worried that what I say may alienate me to those who see me as the good minority? Honestly, I'm not sure, but the fact I'm even thinking about it is so blanked up swear word. Don't you think? And he goes on about this and I'm, this is his first post. And I just, he, he captures like so many Asian Americans, but who are not saying it, they're feeling it. But because we have our white communities, we don't want our white friends to feel awkward. We don't want to complain. We have guilt for saying that, that it's a problem because it's not as bad as black people have it. And so we don't say anything because we don't want to draw attention. We just want to be accepted. And so now there's four people that I'm aware of um, that are out. And so we need that. And so what we need from the majority people is to share these stories. And like, did you know this? I did, I, you know, I learned of this and I guess it's hard anyways, to share these stories that are public like Amy's story. Yeah, I think we're starting to have our breaking point and sometimes um, the people who talk the loudest are the people who are hurting the most. It's not just mm-hmm. you're being heard, but you're hurting. Um, and it, for me, it got to that point where I was hurting to, to break down in tears and I cried all day long. I 
cried in the morning, got myself to work, came back from work and cried again <laughs> all night. And um, since the waterworks weren't turning off, I, I posted that video, you know, and sometimes I guess that's what you got to do to be heard and seen. Well, I think it's really important that, you know, people, I think this is, you know, this is just so true. You can't bottle things up and decide you definitely, you have to express yourself. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. I think if more people were able to express themselves and not worry about it, there'd be a lot more awareness just because more people would be, there'd be so much more information being pushed out that people could have, that could access it. And then maybe, Oh, try to understand it. And I think, you know, one thing is just he try to have an open mind and be, open oh to the, what's this you know not i think that's the biggest thing a lot of people they just tend, i don't want to say it they're closed-minded but a lot of people in a way are mm -hmm. and especially like where, where you live we kind of touched on that all these factors can kind of influence how receptive people can be or non-receptive people can be to different things can i just go back for a second and just say that um i'm never too busy if you need to talk i am never too busy Thank you. By the way, I, I do have new friends and some strangers because I posted on a number like, oh my gosh, who can I tell? Um, and so I gathered, I was denied from posting somewhere. And then um, a few other places there's like, oh, you know, those people should be killed and et cetera. And I'm, so I've got like, I think two new friends and even these are strangers, but they're two people who actually want to learn. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so honored. It is unfortunately there was there are just two, um, but at least I value that. And as I go through the day, through ups and downs, oh my gosh, I know that, that those two people I've got Amy there, and so it's like, you know, it's not that much work that we're that I want from people. I mean, five minutes a day would be amazing to get, but one minute a day is also like wow, that's that's so much more than so many. So um, it's not you know, too big of an effort. And I do, I do have like, I think 15 friends who are now active and I'm so, so happy, but it took a while to get there. No, exactly, Jillian. And you know, the, the most important thing is it, it's not zero. It's at least it's, it's something. And that's a start and it can kind of grow and build up from there. And that kind of leads into the next point I want to bring up is, you know, what can people stand up to in solidarity and amplify your voice to fight racism? Like you're doing, trying to do that. So what do you, what does everyone think that people can do to try to maybe stand up and maybe form a more solid front and, you know, raise the voice? So I, there's a bystander intervention virtual training um, that is hosted by the Asian Americans Advancing Justice Group and also Hollaback. Um, I would encourage people to jump onto the Advancing Justice um, website and take a look at how they can sign up for this this training um there's training all the way through end of may and i'm sure they'll they'll add more training as uh, as the interest level goes up but that's one start um it's just to get to educate yourself mm -hmm. and all the training is free by the way i did an interview uh with lisa k everyday gay from wisconsin and she's a uh she talks about the abcs of lgbtq plus and when she moved to Wisconsin, she and her, and, and she and her wife were thinking, gosh, where should we live? Where are we going to feel safe because we're gay? And then she saw there were two houses that had in the windows, one of those um, in my neighborhood. It, like a flag. It's not a gay, it's not a gay flag, but just like we accept 
everybody sort of thing. I can't remember all the phrases. And she, she they were like, oh yes. And I think that's a great example of, of um, one of you ha had said you had changed your, fro your Facebook profile page. Oh, actually Amy said that. Your, your, um, your profile picture with an stop Asian hate. I see very few of them out there. But so when I, when I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody's safe, somebody's mm -hmm. safe and on my side. And as Amy mentioned, people ask, what is that? Because a lot of people don't know. And so you can start a, a conversation, but also showing us Asian Americans, maybe who are not saying anything like, oh my gosh, there's a person who's safe. And so just, you know, and that takes about 30 seconds. You just click on, um, click on like, let's say my, my name and then you can just add the frame. So that's something that's visible because what happens, let's say, um, Lynn, you, you, talk, you do one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations with your Asian friends. However, the rest of your white friends, they may not know that about Stop Asian Hate. And also your Asian American friends who you're not talking to may see, oh, there's not, they may, anyways. It's, I understand your point, Joey. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Mm -hmm. It's just one simple passive way to stand up right is yeah. to change your profile picture yeah yeah 30 seconds doesn't take any time exactly yeah it's like you know and that and that's the you don't have to reinvent the wheel to try to make your point you could just make something simple make a post uh, change a background or just do one thing you haven't done before you know just one click or one addition yeah. and when you do when you do share um asian american voices like mine jolene Douglas is just like filled with a bunch of stuff and amy's sharing too and and actually the the video that we and i did together it was powerful i've got some good feedback on two of my friends who watched that and amy it is so powerful and um so when you share the post it is very it is imperative that you say this is a video that really opened my eyes to blank 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 you know the moment that she started this because people need to know why they should watch it they don't want to watch it they'd rather watch netflix or do something else so you need to encourage them and then there needs to be an action item so share this because of this and then have the training at the the hashtag in the training otherwise there's no endorsement they're like oh we don't care it doesn't affect us i right. actually oh go ahead we all the same thought we all the same thought at the same time we're <laughs> same thoughts okay. i didn't i didn't want to hog but um so also uh, learning how to be an Asian ally. And that is very different. I did an interview yesterday with uh, another gal. Um, she's, she talks about how to be a black ally and how to be an Asian ally is quite different. And so um, I'm doing workshops on that on Thursdays as well, because it is very different. But I would say number one thing is learn about, go to the Asian American sites. There's about four of them. And just take, you know, one minute and look at, the different Asian hate things that are going on. Um, and then watch some of the specials. PBS has a special and there's a lot of YouTube specials. There's Hollywood people talking. Um, and I have two Asians talking also. Um, and then get the training like Amy mentioned and then start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can also, I mean, you can go big or go small. You can donate also. There's, there's a lot of uh, charity um, organizations out there who um, who you can donate to and they support the Asian American community. Um, there's also, like I said, as being an author, you know, you can just read books um, about um, 
our our plight and our history to learn more and and hopefully build some empathy and and uh, sensitivity around our our culture. And Amy, I think you touched on a very important thing. There need this world or the world, and we need a lot more empathy these days. Definitely. Because that's one thing I think that I just do not see in a lot of people. And I hate to say that, but it's just, you know, if people were more empathetic, it would be so much better. With the rise of social media comes the narcissistic me, me, me kind of stuff. Rather than looking outward, we're spending so much time looking inward and wanting to be attention. And, you know, a lot of the young, uh, I have I have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old, and a lot of the young people that they went to school with are all about the me, 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 right? And all over social media trying to be YouTubers or, you know, whatever to get attention to them so that they can make money instead of actually caring about our world. Um, and my kids both don't have much of a presence on social media because they both want to give more to the world, but we need to encourage our youth to look outward rather than inward. Um, or, or it's only going to get worse, right? Oh, no, that's, that's so true. I mean, I just, I, I, I see that all the time working, you know, working in an educational setting myself you know, it's just, it's the instant gratification. It's like, what can mm-hmm. I get? How can I get it? How quick can I, can I get it? You know, who cares about anyone else? And that is an unfortunately growing trend, not just here, but globally. I've seen it mm-hmm. overseas as well. And, you know, there people need to, I think parents need to instill more in their children that, hey, it's not just about you, but at the same time, you know, there's so, there's so many factors influencing this. And like you said, if, unless more action is taken and there's more initiatives done to help combat this, it's just going to get worse. Parents have a larger influence than they think sometimes though, really. I'm telling you, my boys, they both are actively care about, and I raise them to, to believe that everyone's the same, right? I mean, we have our differences on the surface and our different backgrounds, but inside we all want love, family, you know, we want to do well, we want to be whole, we want to be needed, we want to be loved, right? And that's what's important. And so everyone should be treated the same. And they do that. And they're active, uh, particularly my oldest son, he's very active um, for women's rights, for LGBTQ, for, you know, Black Lives Matter, for Asians, because I've raised them in a culture of acceptance for everybody and that we're all equal. And so their peers did not, their peers did not win that battle. Does that make sense? Oh, no, very much so. So there's a couple of resources you mentioned your kids. Um, By the way, stopasianhate.info and there are Sesame Street videos and there are also PBS videos, K through seven, seven through 12. And so there are a lot of resources. Netflix is doing a fantastic job uh, with a number of their shows that include Asians in them or like four to eight in each show. Um, um, Atypical, fantastic show and social distancing, um, Cobra Kai. So those that are, they're really fun and entertaining. And then uh, Lynn, you also talked about, um, uh, let's see, well, one of you, it's gonna get worse. I mean, if we don't do yeah. something, it's gonna get worse. Yeah. So on, on my walk today, um, I, you know, I've been at my computer doing a bunch of interviews. And so I went out this morning and um, there was a car that stopped in the middle of the intersection, not in the middle, but kind of, it kind of aimed at me and it was tinted windows. And just, it was like there for like 20 seconds in the middle of the intersection. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and cross the street. And you know what? Better yet, I'm gonna run. 
because I don't know, is he, is he gonna shoot me? Like, I can't tell, it's tinted windows. And um, so I went running and then he followed me down the street and I was like, you know what? I should not go down the street. There's no people down here. Like there's no houses, they're set back. So I ran towards the car and the other direction. Now, was it anything? I don't know, um, but that was very strange. And my friend the other day um, in the same area, uh, there were three guys yelling at him. Um, so that was just in my neighborhood. And my other friend um, has a donut shop in Seattle and uh, a lady didn't want to pay the price for the donut. So she says, all Asians should die. I hate Asians. That's why we have the Japanese internment camps so they could kill you all. Um, that was another friend of mine. And then my other friend, um, her aunt was yelled at, um, you know, at the bus stop. And so she went running cause she was freaked out. So that's just this last week. And that's here in Seattle and I'm in the suburbs. And so the idea that, oh, it's in the big cities. Oh no, it's right here. And I am not, I'm not a shy mousy type of person. So it's here. You know, Jolene, um, whether it was anything or not, always listen to your instincts. Yep. Yeah. As I say, always follow your gut. You know, the gut always you follow your gut. Yeah. And it's everywhere. It's in small towns. It's in big cities. It's everywhere. Uh, uh, ignorance doesn't know boundaries. Oh, ignorance does not know boundaries or, or anything. <laughs> it could be in your house. It could be in your town. It could be, yeah, like you said, it's everywhere. Right. I was, I was going to suggest also for, for April, Sean, and, and Lynn to ask, once you learn more about this, something mm -hmm. you can do is for the different groups that you're in, hey, can we talk about this? Um, whether it's a dog walking group or whatever group, I'm reaching out to any group that I have. Hey, can I have two minutes? And okay. I'm also going to contact the cities and see what they're doing. Uh, the city of Seattle, I interviewed the deputy mayor to see what they're doing and like nudge them, put something, what's, where's your stop Asian hate? 14% Asian American, where's your, how, what are you doing? And then also um, for your employers, what are they doing? Do they have a statement? Do they have a plan? And so to start really any, any kind of network you have, if you feel like it, that is something that you can do. Yeah, as I say, it never hurts to ask or just, you know, send up, send, you know, express your thoughts or a suggestion. Those are great suggestions, Jolene. And I, I know I personally can do better at um, reaching out to my representatives, writing letters, or um, just talking to it with my employer, you know. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, and like the neighborhood group, I posted uh, on one of my neighborhood groups, and nobody is engaged with that. It was the sweetest, uh, this, this, she's like maybe 80 pounds, this sweet gal and just talks about this poetry of how she's feeling. It's not angry. It's not passionate. Like I am here and it's just like, nobody's engaged with it at all. And the thing is like, I need, I need white people, particularly white women in these neighborhood groups to post about stop Asian hate because my voice isn't heard. It needs to be a majority voice and other people backing it up because I'm invisible. I hear you. My neighborhood, there's 1.5 Asian people, myself and my son. <laughs> and that's it, you know? And so I don't feel comfortable um, speaking up or posting anything on, on next door or, or anything like that because I feel like I am definitely in, I, I am in the minority, you know? And I don't know how people perceive that. No, that, those are all good points. You know, and another thing I think that we can, we can kind of discuss the last couple of questions I have for everyone is, you know, 
like you, you mentioned Joel and some of your friends have actually witnessed, you know, hate crimes in action or worse, you know, so that's a good question. You know, what should you do if you witness one yourself? I mean, a, m- a number of things come to my mind, but I wonder what everyone else thinks. Well, that's well, why I'm taking the training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's somewhat dependent on the incident. Uh, uh, but I think we need to stand up for these people, uh, you know, these people being, you know, anyone who's being hurt, but particularly with the Asian crimes right now, standing up, speaking up, recording, calling the police, being there to support the person, um, speaking out against the attacker. This is one instance where actually videotaping um, and speaking up at the same time and then posting it is not only important, but valuable, right? I think the last thing we need to do is stand by, watch it happen, like that scene in New York, uh, which horrified me, by the way, with the security guards who stood inside and then, you know, didn't do anything as they watched this woman being attacked. It was unconscionable, yeah. unconscionable. There were three of them and they were security guards and they did nothing. I would I not have done nothing. Video. As a single female who's only 5'4", I would have gone out there and attempted to stop the man. Right. I, I just even if it is by yelling or, you know, drawing attention right to the to the attacker themselves, especially the fact that you have people there whose job it is to maintain order and security and protect people. And they're completely discarding that duty. I yeah. mean, that, that that that's what kind of just boggles my mind. It's like, yeah, that was totally unconscionable. I mean. Well, then you haven't seen the one also same day. Um, this was in Wash. This is also in New York, and this is the subway where there are 15 people watching. And this person, I don't think, died. But and in this video, it, it was on TikTok, and then I saw it, but then it was gone. And then TMZ picked it up. I think it's out there now. But subway in New York. Um, I'm not sure if you want to. Amy should not watch it. Um, and it's I'll, it's. I'll look it up. It's pretty harsh, and so you have people watching, like big time, and. So one of the things, because I had this uh, interview with this cowboy who says, well, I was in the subways and that's a tough call because he's a big guy, but you're in a contained space, et cetera. And so having this training, um, I holla back, which I heard was excellent. You can learn how to, um, uh, was it distract? There's five D's, D's like to, I can't remember what they are. I didn't have the training yet, but I mean, yell, just imagine if like, three people yelled at the top of their lungs that the guy who's attacking or person would be like, what? I mean, so that, that is so important to get that training because when it's a dangerous situation, people don't know. And one of my friends. And people are afraid, Jolene. Yeah. 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 Being the first, here's the thing. There had to be several people in that crowd that wanted to speak up or Mm -hmm. say something, but were afraid. And sometimes it's the best thing you can do is be the first person because there will be people behind you. And to say my friend uh, who's in the military, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, let's go, let's go people. You know, cause like I would, I'm, I'm 110 pounds, but I would, I would use my voice, maybe throw something. I'd say, let's go. I mean, you know, the guy he was attacking was, you know, kind of a slight Asian, you know, come on. So. And just so you know, the five D's are uh, distract, delegate, document, delay, and direct. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, for me, I think I'd also add, like, I've just, I've been listening to you guys a lot. So like, I may not have talked a lot in this 
time, but I've been listening. And, and the thing is to just, to really listen, to hear it and to do something about it. Once you really hear it, because not doing anything is not going to change anything, but doing something might change a little bit at a time. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. you know, it's about accomplishing something or just doing something, you know, mm-hmm. you know, stopping inaction and just, you know, just creating some momentum in some way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thank you, uh, April, for being here. Yeah. And then that kind of leads my last point for, the, for our discussion today. And I think this is probably the most long, you know, or for what the long jet, the one with the most longevity is like, you know, how should you talk to your children or, you know, to children about this and, you know, about what's going on? Because, you know, that what we always say, you know, next generation is, has hope and other things, as we like to say. So, you know, how do we address these types of things with them? Well, I, I think we lost Lynn, but she can probably tell you when she comes back on about how she's addressing it with her children. But I have the one son who's turning 12 uh, next week and he's, He's half Asian, half uh, Swedish. And um, I will tell you that I don't shy away from talking to him about what's going on in the world. Um, I certainly don't shy about what's going on with me. You know, the person who, who, who he loves the most, I, I share everything. And so every day we, we say, you know, how was your day? What was one good thing? And what was one bad thing that happened in your day? Um, and I always tell him, this is something that bad, bad that happened that affected me. And I would show him a video. I have, I showed him a video of the grandma that got punched in the face in San Francisco and then fought back with her stick, you know? And I showed him the video of that uh, Filipino woman who was stomped in the head and the bystanders did nothing and it broke his heart. Um, but again, you know, some people may disagree that that was a little too violent for me to show my son that, but first of all, he's very mature for his age. He's very empathetic. Um, and again, in a world of TikTok, when, when you only have 15 seconds to grab someone's attention and make it profound and impactful, sometimes that's what you got to resort to. Uh, and I know that my son could handle it. And so for me, that's how I educate my son. We talk about it openly. We, we watch videos. I have him read an hour every single day. Um, and a lot of the times he's reading historical fiction. So the last book he read was the la- um, it's called The Last Cherry Blossom, uh, written by Kathleen Birkinshaw. And that is about the Hiroshima um, atomic bomb, right? And, and he read that, it, he fell to p- in pieces. He did a book report about it. He posted, I posted it for him on social media and the author was just moved by this. And so that's how I'm educating my son about what's going on in the world. No, I think that's really, really good what you're doing. You know, I know a lot of people think, oh, I can't show my kid that. But at the same time, it, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors at play, but you, you know, you, it's better to teach them with, you know, kind of with you around or with the parents, you know, kind of having that support than it is for them just kind of figure it out on their own a lot of times, at least when they're young and and first being introduced to a lot of these things. And also like, you know, parenting styles, you know, what you're promoting, what you, what values you're instilling, all these things can factor in. I was just going to say, he's going to hear it. And so I would much rather him hear it from you. That's very true. Yeah. Or one analogy is like my family said, like, they told me like, you know, with drinking, they, before I was even, you know, 21, they said, okay, we 
we're going to have you know try some wine we want, we want you to see it with us before you see it with your friends because naturally think of the difference environments or settings with that <laughs> totally agree i mean i grew up drinking beer and wine when i was little you know because my mom had no problems um giving me a little taste of it so i in a safe and structured exactly. environment exactly. right yeah and my son too and and it's 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 to make sure that they're responsible uh, about what they're what they're doing yeah, with parenting it's all about educating your children about everything really, and what you, what kind of people you want them to be. I have, for my kids' entire lives, pulled news out of the, you know, news of injustices of all types, and not just injustices, but, you know, relevant news topics, but particularly injustices, and have brought it to the table for conversation, starting from when they were pretty young. And of course, you get, you only have to, you have to speak at their level at the time, but because of that, my kids are well-versed in a lot of areas that their peers aren't. In fact, my youngest son brings his friends over and says, hey, talk to my mom, mm -hmm. right? She'll help you. If your parents won't talk to you about it, my mom will. Yeah, we, we need that open dialogue, that honesty. Yeah, it makes your kids much more aware of what's going on around them in the world and much more compassionate as individuals. Yeah, I think, that, yeah, I think it's just exposing them and making them want to learn more and be open yeah. to things is really important because a lot of kids, you know, I don't have kids, I can't speak from personal experience, but just from people, sometimes what I see or observe, it kind of goes back to that all about me and I because they haven't been shown or taught about, you know, a lot of these elements that, you know, you, you both are discussing. And it's kind of sad because if only they would have had a little different upbringing or different, been exposed to things in a different way, or I think parents can make things interesting to their kids, like engage them and all these other things that can apply, not just this, but so many other things, you know, make it, make it engaging and make them want to learn and want to contribute because that's going to foster a lot of other things. At least that's mm -hmm. my, my experience with how I was raised. And then from what I see with some people I know who have kids. On outside of parenting, I, I want to add that we have an education system here where I live. Uh, all of the third graders, um, they go through it to, and they have to opt in or they can choose, their parents can choose to opt them out, but it's relatively rare um, in that they spend two days where the teacher divides them into groups, brown eyes and green eyes or blue eyes. And she spends the first day being prejudiced against all the kids with brown eyes. They have to be in the back of the line. She doesn't call on them, et cetera. And then they have to write down that experience and how they felt about it. And they talk about it. And the next day she does it to the other group of kids. So they all get a, an experience based on their eye color of what it's like to be discriminated against. And frankly, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I frankly think all students should have to learn that across the nation. That alone helped both my kids see how unfair it is to judge somebody by something over which they have no control. Yeah, I, I, I think there was an article or a story about that, Lynn, um, and it might have been from a teacher back in the 50s. Uh, I could be wrong on the period, but that's where it, that started. Where Originated, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. agree. Yeah, it kind of goes back that you don't really, it's, you know, you, you don't really know what it's like unless you've actually experienced it. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that I'm actually experienced it, it's kind of like a, oh, that's what it feels like. That's that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it> kind of bluntly. <laughs> 
my 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 oldest was like, I hate the teacher. She's mean. And it just he, yeah, it taught him a lot. In two days, he learned more than probably a half a dozen talks might have had. Right? Yeah. There's no education like experiencing it. Well, and he also learned the power of privilege in that two days, right? Yeah. And, and, and how it can be detrimental. That's very true. No, but a very unique, a very unique, and I definitely agree with you. That, that would be a great, that or something similar to that, because <laughs> it should be used everywhere. <laughs> well, guys, I really appreciate, you know, all the, your, your points, your areas of emphasis, you know, opinions, thoughts for today, you know, for today's discussion, going over these questions and, you know, I'm just hopeful that, you know, by us doing things like this and others doing things like this or using other platforms, media, you know, you know, person to person connections, et cetera, that this top, that this can gain more awareness and that a wider range of people. And like you said, more of the majority can have a window into it and really understand what's going on because clearly it's gaining more attention, which is good but it still hasn't gained enough attention and there's still a lot of indifference. And I think, as we mentioned, indifference is the biggest problem. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thank oh, you for welcome. giving us the platform and uh, April and Lynn, thank you for being amazing white allies for us. Uh, Jolene, my sister, thank you so much also for helping me to um, speak up for myself and for our community. Thank you all. Even just knowing that there's three more people I'm like three more people. It's a victory. So it does, you know, just every little bit. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Oh, my pleasure. And like, and like I tell everyone that, you know, listens to my podcast, that my podcast is about education, raising awareness and exposing people to everything this world has to offer, different cultures, people, places, events, you know, experiences, et cetera. They're all valuable and we can learn so much and open our minds up, you know, immensely just from the more people we know, the more places we go and the more things we learn and experience, you know, my personal opinion is I try to have an eclectic mindset and that is something I promote. And I you know, stress other people to at least try is it doesn't really matter what it is in a way, as long as it's good and it works, you can incorporate it and use it for the betterment of yourself and others. Well said. Everyone, again, I just want to thank you very much for you know taking the time to have this discussion today. So um, this has been another episode of International Immersion. We will see you on the next episode, and I will post uh, everyone who attended today their information and any of the um, sites or trainings and other things we discussed today that you can check out on the on this page on this episode's description. So without further ado, if, if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at internationalimmersionpodcast at gmail.com. Also check out our Facebook page with the same name, International Immersion. And we will see you all in the next one. Take care, stay safe. And we can't wait to get back out and traveling and immersing ourselves in the world.